can never forget this, these horrific images, part of our botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. We will never forget this, the aftermath of the suicide bombing that took out 13 of our soldiers, sailors, and Marines, and then when they came home in boxes, in coffins. And then we retaliated. Do you remember? We took out a suicide bomber in downtown Kabul. That's what we were told. Turns out that's wrong. We suspected as much. We reported earlier this week that it didn't go as they told us. And today it's official. We got the wrong guy. We got innocent people instead. We now assess that it is unlikely that the vehicle and those who died were associated with ISIS-K or were a direct threat to U.S. forces. I offer my profound condolences to the family and friends of those who were killed. This strike was taken in the earnest belief that it would prevent an imminent threat to our forces and the evacuees at the airport. But it was a mistake, and I offer my sincere apology. General Kenneth McKenzie, commanding general of the Central Command, we were wrong. And we were looking at a white Toyota Corolla, tracking it in Kabul. I've been in that part of the world. Every other car is a white Toyota Corolla. I could see how they would lose track. But this is really bad. And some are wondering, some of my Pentagon sources, if CENTCOM may have been under some political pressure and there may have been some itchy trigger fingers. More from General McKenzie. At the time of the strike, based upon all the intelligence and what was being reported, I was confident that the strike had averted an imminent threat to our forces at the airport. Based upon that assessment, I and other leaders in the department repeatedly asserted the validity of this strike. I'm here today to set the record straight and acknowledge our mistakes. I will end my remarks with the same note of sincere and profound condolences to the family and friends of those who died in this tragic strike. Okay, setting the record straight, not exactly. Uh, there was a press conference. I noticed that the general ignored questions that he didn't like, just ignored them. When did you know that innocent civilians were killed? We had been hearing for quite some time. CENTCOM, the Pentagon, put out a statement that no innocents were killed. Uh, these are the people, some of them, who were killed. Uh, a father who worked for a humanitarian organization and some children. You know, I knew something was up when I heard General Milley weeks ago talk about this. The bureaucratic language that he learned in Washington, the CYA vocabulary of a bureaucrat. At the time, and I think this is still valid, uh, we had very good intelligence uh, that ISIS-K was preparing uh, a specific type vehicle uh, at a specific type location. Uh, we monitored that through various means, um, and um, all of the engagement criteria were being met. We went through the same level of rigor that we've done for years, uh, and we took a strike. There was just something peculiar about the careful choice of words and the tone. They were tracking, and it met the criteria. More. We know that there were secondary explosions. Uh, because there were secondary explosions, there's a reasonable uh, conclusion to be made that there was explosives in that vehicle. The third thing is we know from a variety of other means that at least one of those people that were killed was a ISIS facilitator. Uh, so were there others killed? Yes, there are others killed. Who they are, we don't know. Uh, we'll try to sort through all that. 
Uh, but we believe that the procedures at this point, I don't want to influence the outcome of an investigation, um, but at this point we think that the procedures were correctly followed and it was a righteous strike. No, no. And he knew it. He knew it. That's why he's being so careful. That's why he's being so guarded. Uh, this, by the way, is how a loser talks who's trying to cover himself. This is how a winner talks when they just took out a terrorist. Last night, the United States brought the world's number one terrorist leader to justice, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. He died like a dog. He died like a coward. The world is now a much safer place. You miss those days? Hmm? Because we're losing again. We're losing again. <laughs> we were winning and now we're losing. Remember when he took out Soleimani? Uh, Iranian terrorist uh, at the airport in Iraq. It was in the open. It was confirmed it was him. He took out a major terror leader, and the fake news cried about it. Killing Soleimani would not have stopped an imminent attack any more than, I guess, killing Eisenhower would have stopped D-Day. Was it safer today, or was it safer before Soleimani was killed? Just, just speaking today in terms of those Americans. Yeah, it was safer before Soleimani was killed. They don't defend Soleimani. But they also don't think that a president should be an imperial president and just assassinate people whenever he damn well feels like it when there's not an imminent threat. You can, you can understand that Soleimani was a bad person. Sure. But you, could also, you also can want the administration, or at least to hold them accountable, to give the evidence of how it was imminent because you heard the president saying, well, we stopped him from doing some bad things. Well, where's the evidence of that? Uh, did you hear the one guy say uh, the world was safer with this terror leader in it than with him dead? This is how much they hated Trump. This is how dishonest they are. Um, by the way, tonight on the news or over the weekend, newspapers, online, go around the dial. Check it out. See how much you hear of his press conference. Ken McKenzie, general, United States Marine Corps, CENTCOM, apologizing for a botched strike. See it. Try it. How big would this have been under Trump? How small will it be under Joe Biden? So we are losing overseas and we are losing at home. Have you seen the new batch of illegal immigrants? They're from Haiti. I knew many were coming from Mexico, Central America, South America, now from Haiti. Look at this. This is over 10,000, 10,000 um, on the border. Texas, I think this is Del Rio. The media have been silent on this. In fact, I went through everything, all the majors, and they leave out the Haitian equation for some reason. You know who uh, brought it to light very effectively of all people? Senator Ted Cruz. He did a fabulous job um, laying out the issue and what's happening. They used to rely on the networks and the newspapers to do this stuff, but the senator did it, and he did it well. We're in Del Rio, Texas. It is September 16th. This is underneath one bridge. 10,503 illegal aliens. A mass of humanity that has crossed and is waiting to come into America. The reason they're here is simple. Eight days ago, the Biden administration made a political decision. A political decision to cancel deportation flights to Haiti. 
They did that on September 8th. Eight days later, these numbers appeared. On September 8th, underneath this bridge, there were between 700 and 1,000 people. But when the word got out that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were no longer deporting people who came from Haiti, suddenly everyone who was here called their friends, called their family, and the numbers surged to 10,503. That's what's here today. It is more than the capacity of the Border Patrol to handle. This is the result of a political decision. This is a result that is indefensible. What we are seeing here, this is wrong. This is inhumane. And this is entirely caused by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It was kind of hard to hear at times, but that is compelling and directly related to something that Joe Biden did and Kamala Harris very recently, uh, ceasing the deportation. Uh, well, that's a big story, right? They're doing what they can to kill it, to minimize it. Uh, take a look at this. All aspects of the federal government cooperating. A temporary no-fly zone has been declared in that area. Now, there's nothing sensitive there. There's not a presidential summit there. Why? Well, they don't want drones from news organizations flying over and capturing the scene from the air. Now, fortunately, they don't control local police or even all aspects of uh, Border Patrol who have helicopters and aren't afraid to let journalists ride along. But they did try to kill this story. Hey, by the way, you saw those huge crowds. You think they're getting vaccinated? <laughs> no. Joe Biden wants mandatory evacuations for everybody except, well, certain constituencies. And don't forget, they're always going to push that those who are most reluctant to take the vaccination are Trump supporters. That's fake news, by the way. But boy, do they love that narrative. Half of Americans, half, half of, uh, of Republicans who supported Donald Trump don't want to take the vaccine. One segment of the population remains steadfast in their opposition to getting a vaccine. Republicans. 47% of the people who supported Donald Trump were against getting the vaccine. Okay, that is fake news. The numbers do not bear that out, not by a long shot. Um, you know who's not getting the vaccination? Well, illegal immigrants, uh, communities of color, it's true. And millennials, young people, they are resistant for whatever reason. Here in New York City, we have a health department. And quite frankly, uh, for all the crazy things they do, they recognize that communities of color are resistant to the vaccine. And they try to fix that with a public service announcement, a whole bunch of them actually. I chose to get vaccinated because I want to protect myself. I want to protect my family. It's the right thing to do. You have to be safe at all times. I really feel more secure, more comfortable going out here. Man, go down, roll your sleeve up, and get that shot, you know? So, uh, 
You know what? I don't mind a campaign like this, although I got something to point out. One thing about this spot that's pretty good, actually, that first gentleman, he says, I choose to get it. I choose to get it. I like that. It is a choice, a choice. Um, however, there are other spots in this uh, campaign that are spreading disinformation. I'd like you to meet Pastor Chris, they call him. I will tell people who are afraid of getting the vaccine not to be. You know, it's, 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 it's not worth it because, uh, you know, there, there is no side effect. If at all there is any side effect in some cases, it's something very minor, minor side effect. Okay, uh, so now he's talking about things he does not have expertise in. And we're just citizens, right? I mean, I hear that citizens who voice concerns about the vaccine, well, I know that they're being pushed off of Facebook, they're being shadow banned, they're being shamed, but he's spreading some disinformation right now, and it goes on. Just a priest. Take your vaccination, you know. Millions of people have taken it. New York City is the best city in the whole world. Taking this vaccination, uh, we are here to conquer. All right, so in there, I know it was a little bit hard to understand side effects. He glosses over them. He says there are no side effects. No, 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 no. There are. There can be, potentially. And let's go through them. These are official from the CDC, all right? These things have been reported, and some of them are quite serious. And yes, there have been deaths from this vaccine. I mean, again, this is something to be factored in. There are people who die from aspirin. There are people who die from peanuts. So it's not to say that the vaccine is no good. Uh, it's something to consider, though, okay? Don't you think? By the way, uh, should I tell you this or not? I'm just going to share it for the heck of it. I got the vaccine. I had my doubts. My wife said do it. I did it. I got very sick after the first dose, but I got the second dose, Pfizer. Anyway, that's it. I did it. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just a guy who works here. I don't, you know, didn't go to medical school. Uh, some people are good at that stuff, even if they didn't go to medical school. I don't know. Um, I do like what this woman said. A nurse, I believe she's in Tennessee, and she says it all right here. There is risk. And what do you do when there's risk? Do you make it mandatory? I don't think so. And I'm just standing here with all of you because if there is a risk of harm, there should be choice in the matter. If there is risk, uh, there should be choice in the matter. She's in West Virginia, by the way. I totally, totally agree. You won't see her in a public service announcement, though. You'll see her in a random uh, video on Instagram that will probably be deleted if it hasn't been already. They don't want this side of the equation out. Even if you're famous, even if you're Nicki Minaj, the singer. Um, look, I only know one of her songs. I don't know much about her. Um, the song, though, is not so bad, uh, although there are plenty of bad words. Anyway, I'm not a music critic. Um, she has doubts about the vaccine. One of her relatives, she says, uh, got into trouble with this thing, had a bad reaction. And, uh, man, they're after her in a big way. And she's speaking out very powerfully. What in the world scared y'all that much that made you disable my Twitter? I have not put out anything that I said was a fact about anything. I simply said we should be able to ask questions and speak. And it's scary 
when they start telling you you can't ask questions about anything. Hey, Nicki Minaj. There's more. The Democratic Party in general and so many people jumping at the chance to, okay, well, hmm, we can't um, make fun of the actual story anymore and, and talk about testicles and balls till they drop dead and make, and make that a joke. So now we have to uh, attack her personally. I want you guys to see what is happening. And they, and they had to make sure it came from a black person first, because if it came from a white person, the black people would be like, oh, you're racist in this. So let's peep this. The first attack was from a black woman. Yeah, she's talking about uh, Joy Reid over there on MSNBC. She is a full-fledged bigot, by the way, Joy Reid. Look, Nicki Minaj is onto something. If they'll give a, a citizen, her, anybody else, a hard time about talking about their own personal experiences, that's dangerous. That is really, really dangerous because MSNBC, the left, they want you to think everybody is feeling this way. It's not true. But again, with, uh, ooh, only for our kids, our kids, our kids, our kids, not everybody is going to be on the same page. Right now, our district, we don't have any um, mitigation efforts in place for COVID, which is making a lot of teachers very nervous. Well, I have an entire school of children who cannot be vaccinated yet. I have to do everything I can to keep them as safe as possible. I have a sixth grader who's not vaccinated, and I don't feel safe. You know, for her to have lunch together with hundreds potentially of other kids who are also not vaccinated. I think we need to educate our, our students and I've taken the time to educate mine. All right. Forgive me, but I suspect that there are some teachers out there who would love the summer vacation to continue. Right. I mean, not working and getting paid, that's a pretty sweet deal. Um, not all teachers think like this, and I know a lot of teachers are anxious to get back there in the classroom. And guess what? <laughs> they don't want to be, some of them, vaccinated or told that they have to be vaccinated. That's not American. Nobody really wants that, at least. I don't know. I think that's, that's the American spirit that I grew up with. Mandatory? A new vaccine? Anyway... These folks turned out here in New York City, uh, teachers protesting mandatory vaccination plans for teachers. Listen to this. No forced COVID vaccines for adults or children. All right, this was a, a significant turnout actually in New York City, liberal town. And uh, a lot of folks are just not on board with being forced to do this. Such a new vaccine, uh, significant side effects. A lot of people can get COVID and not die from it. That's true. That actually is true. Uh, but hey, who's the ultimate authority on this, right? According to the fake news, the one man in America who commands universal respect we will be answering questions that you sent in about how to keep our kids safe and who better to give us answers that we can trust than Dr. Anthony Fauci. <laughs> who better that we can trust? 
Why do they like him? Why do they trust him? Because he used to give it to Donald Trump because he tried to trip him up every step of the way. Look, we don't trust that guy. We don't trust any of you. We're adults. We have access to the information, okay? The elites have failed us again and again and again. And look at this. This says it all. I found this on social media. Huh? Take it full if you don't mind. The elites, no mass, having fun at a party. Your child, huh? That says so much. So much is wrong right now. All right, though, I'm not losing hope. We'll be right back. host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. Is, is that, that these fake, fake news just doesn't get it, do they? <laughs> the fake news is obsessed with uh, that game show Jeopardy for some reason. Who cares? It's been around for like 70 years or something like that. Uh, but they love it. This is Jeopardy. Here are... I, my dad Tebow's it. He watches it. I don't... Uh, so what's the news here? Ken Jennings is going to be the host. He was like the most successful contestant of all time. Seems like a nice guy. Good for him. But this is where it gets a little bit weird. The previous temporary host, although he had it permanently, but it turned out to be temporarily, his name is Mike Richards. So he said some silly things in a podcast about like 10 years ago or something. Uh, said that girls tend to dress a little risque. I think he used uh, maybe a not-so-nice no, not word on Halloween. That's totally true, by the way, some of them. So look at his apology, all right? He made a couple of crude jokes a long time ago. It is humbling to confront a terribly embarrassing moment of misjudgment, thoughtlessness, and insensitivity from nearly a decade ago. Looking back now, there is no excuse, of course, for the comments I made on this podcast, and I am deeply sorry. Uh, again, it's pretty benign stuff, and it goes on. I mean, gee whiz. The podcast was intended to be a series of irreverent conversations between longtime friends who had a history of joking around. Even with the passage of time, it's more clear that my attempts to be funny and provocative were not acceptable, and I have removed the episodes. Yeah, you can't find them anymore. My responsibilities today as a father, husband, and a public personality who speaks to many people through my role on television means... I have substantial and serious obligations as a role model, and I intend to live up to them. Ay, 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 ay. When did we become so uptight? I mean, this is America. We weren't always like this. This is the land where Howard Stern is one of the most successful broadcasters 
ever. And I like him, by the way. I also like the movie Animal House. Did anybody see that with John Belushi? Yes, I like that. Uh, I didn't like the Police Academy movies, but there are plenty of people who like them. No big deal. Fifty Shades of Grey was one of the best-selling books of all time. Uh, I saw the movie. Not my thing. Uh, now we, uh, what? Only perfect people like Ken Jennings, who's totally off the charts, brilliant, and uh, squeaky clean, although even he told a few silly jokes over the years, and he has to apologize, too. Look, I blame a little bit, may he rest in peace, Alec Trebek. He should have had a succession plan. Uh, what was his personal life all about? It wasn't perfect, by the way. He was a little bit um, unique. I woke up and saw a figure in our hotel bedroom, and I thought I was dreaming, and I realized immediately that someone had been in the room, and uh, I put on my underwear and ran down the hall to see if I could find her. She came out of the little room where the uh, ice machine is, and I said, what were you doing in our room? And she said, I wasn't in your room. I said, what are you doing out there? She said, I was visiting friends. I said, no, you weren't. I don't know. I would have stopped the pursuit uh, at the hotel door in my underwear. I don't think I would have run down the hall. But anyway, everybody is unique. Everybody does things. Nobody here broke the law. We are just so uptight and stupid. And it's getting worse. I got to show you this episode not from some kooky college in Nowheresville. This is the Washington Post pushing this as a new media enterprise. I showed you a clip last night. It's important, though, that we revisit. For the first time, white people were becoming aware of their whiteness and the systemic ways that white supremacy affects all of us. In this episode, we're tackling white racial identity and why understanding your whiteness is integral to becoming self-aware as a white person. I'm Nicole Ellis, and this is The New Normal. I feel a little bit offended. I might even feel triggered. This person who does not look like me telling me what I'm supposed to be and act and feel, and I, I don't know. I could be very easily triggered right now. Look, if you go around trying to appease the woke left, it'll never, ever be good enough. Even the idiots who participated in this stunt didn't pass muster. I guess I'm curious to hear, like, what are some of the pitfalls or risks that you run if that's the only step you take? The biggest answer is white people don't really understand racism. <laughs> <laughs> Glaring at her. How dare you laugh when we're having this discussion? Um, we've seen examples of this. If you try to speak the woke left's language, you will lose. Chris Harrison, remember that guy from uh, The Bachelor? He hosted it for a long time. Nobody really, you know, he was fine. He was adequate. Nobody noticed him in a good way. Uh, made a comment, totally acceptable comment, defending somebody who wore a dress to a party, and they damn right uh, canceled him. They canceled him. He desperately tried to save his job and went on his own network's morning show and apologized like crazy. Why would you defend Rachel Kirkinell? I am an imperfect man. I made a mistake, and I own that. I am saddened and shocked at how insensitive I was in that interview with Rachel Lindsay. And I didn't speak from my heart. And that is to say, I stand against all forms of racism. And I am deeply sorry. 
I'm sorry to Rachel Lindsay, and I'm sorry to the black community. His, his apology is his apology, but it felt like it got nothing more than a surface response on any of this. Wow. I mean, that guy, uh, Harrison, was as objectly, oh my God, how more apologetic can you get? And he wouldn't give him an inch, an inch. Uh, that brings me to the Trump truth. Ultimately, I'm always right. There is a lot that we could still learn from him. I studied him. I've been studying him actually since the 1980s. And um, he came up with a solution to this woke madness. It actually came up all the way back in 2015. This politically correct stuff, apologize for everything you ever did. No, wrong answer. Uh, almost no one followed his lead on it, but it's the way to go. Watch this. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account Only Rosie several... O'Donnell. No, it wasn't. I think the big problem this country has is being politically correct. I've been... I've been challenged by so many people, and I don't frankly have time for total political correctness. And to be honest with you, this country doesn't have time either. I loved it. Still applies. Look, good people know when they've actually genuinely hurt somebody, and it's always appropriate to apologize, um, most likely in private, uh, when you do something wrong. But being called out for a crude joke from 12 years ago, uh, that is, that's stuff from Maoist China. That's uh, stuff the Stasi used to try to pull in East Germany. It's not America. And I'm not playing that game. I hope you don't play it either. We'll be right back. This country was made by tax rebels, freedom fighters, gold seekers, believers, lovers, and true patriots. We're Newsmax, and we're their heirs, and so are you. Newsmax TV, real news for real people. Who's the opposite? Do you want your house back? Take it! So many people still in custody for allegations related to January 6th. I know there are people in custody who did not hurt anybody and didn't break anything. Tomorrow in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol uh, at 1 p.m., there will be a rally uh, for a group called Justice for J6. They are rallying to uh, support those what they call political prisoners. And quite frankly, I agree with them. They seem to be political prisoners. Now, there is some concern about this event. I mean, it's very reminiscent of January 6th. It's the same place. Some of the same cops will be there. Could something go wrong? I want nothing to go wrong. I don't want to see anybody hurt. But even the president of the United States, Donald Trump, former, is uh, very concerned. Let's go ahead and put this up. On Saturday, that's a setup. If people don't show up, they'll say, oh, it's a lack of spirit. And if people do show up, they'll be Harass. He said that in an interview with The Federalist. I, uh, I share his concerns, but I'm also concerned about all the people who are still in custody and some of whom I think are there very, very unfairly. The Capitol Police um, 
known most famously for their failure on January 6th and possibly on some of their parts, complicity? I don't know. I don't think we have the answer yet. Uh, they seem like they're ready for war. We would be foolish not to take seriously the, the intelligence that we have at our disposal. How credible it is, how likely it is, uh, people can make those judgments. But the fact of the matter is that we are hearing, we are hearing some chatter that I think um, it, it would be responsible for us to, to plan the way we've been planning and put the precautions uh, in place. Yeah, like a huge fence, like calling in the National Guard even. So we have received a request from uh, Capitol Police for some assistance uh, for this weekend's protests, uh, scheduled protests. Um, I'm not going to detail the specific request, as is typical. Uh, our policy is to let the agency asking uh, be the ones to speak to the details. What I can tell you is that uh, it will follow the same process that all requests for assistance of the department when it comes from a, an outside agency go through, and that's what we're working on right now. We're doing the, the analysis. We are, in, we are in receipt of it. We're analyzing it, and, um, uh, and uh, if it can be validated and supported, uh, we'll do that, and we'll, you know, we'll look at the sourcing uh, inside the department as to what's most appropriate. Oh, brother. They all talk like that in the swamp? Uh, anyway. National Guard is on standby. Uh, so they got the National Guard. They got a fence, a brand new fence that they built. A fence is fine for Congress, not fine at the border, the border with Mexico. You know, they all went nuts about the wall. Uh, but again, and you've heard this before, but it's interesting. A fence is good for Congress, not for the country. Look, regarding tomorrow, I really hope that certain cops are not there, like this one, the angry, unprofessional Michael Fanone. I feel like I went to hell and back to protect them and the people in this room. But too many are now telling me that hell doesn't exist or that hell actually wasn't that bad. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. <laughs> No, you are. And so are your friends. Uh, this is uh, the big guy, Dunn. I use an analogy to describe what I want as a hitman. If a hitman is hired and he kills somebody, the hitman goes to jail. But not only does the hitman go to jail, but the person who hired them does. There was an attack carried out on January 6th, and a hitman sent them. I want you to get to the bottom of that. Oh, hey, that's a great point. Um, and this gentleman next, uh, he likes the word pathetic. He uses that to describe President Trump. I would use it to describe him. It's upsetting. It's a pathetic excuse for his behavior for something that he himself helped to create. This monstrosity. I'm still recovering from those hugs and kisses that day. All right. I'm pretty hard on these guys, of course, because um, I'm angry about it. You know, for a year, cops all over this country were maligned, had things thrown at them, were hit, were attacked, were killed, and nobody cared. They didn't have any congressional hearing. Only these guys did. Why? To make a cheap political point to go after Trump and his supporters, and that's it. I'll be right back.
If you've had it with the old news. And the same spin. Well, then Spicer & Company is your place. For the inside story. And for the facts that you need to know. January 6th, so many, we've been talking about this for months now, so many still in custody, even though they didn't hurt anybody, they didn't break anything. Some are facing many, many years in prison. A lot of this seems very unfair. A lot of this seems like political persecution. Tomorrow in Washington, D.C., at the Capitol at 1 o'clock, there will be a rally in support of those being held. Uh, the group running this uh, uh, this demonstration, they're calling them political prisoners, and quite frankly, I agree. I'd like to bring in Kara Castronova. She is the co-founder of Citizens Against Political Persecution. She's one of the organizers involved in tomorrow's demonstration. Look, uh, you know there's going to be massive <laughs> security down there. You guys have all the permits, right? You've been in coordination. This yes. is a totally legal demonstration that you're holding, correct? Yes, we have had the permits for months now. We're working with police. Uh, we have a lot of security, really good security team that are also former police, former military. So everything is going to be secure. Um, I, I know that the news has been very worried and people have been very worried about this, but I think that tomorrow should be pretty smooth. I'm not here telling people to come. I just would actually rather tell people to watch tomorrow, to watch and, and check it out because we're going to be doing a demonstration and giving some information to the American public that they might not have known before about what really happens on January 6th. And we're also going to educate them on the political prisoners that are still being detained in Washington, D.C. as we speak, a lot of them in solitary confinement and without bail. All right. So number one, how can you watch? Because a lot of the fake news won't be covering this, as you know, they'll or they'll only dwell on anything negative if it happens. So uh, right. is there a YouTube? Is there a live stream? Is there a rumble? There will to be. Yes. There, thank you, Greg, so much. for the, There will be a live stream. It'll be up on my citizensapp.us. That's www.citizensapp.us. And you could watch there. But from what I understand, there is going to be a lot of media there. We've been contacted by a lot of media. Obviously, they're out looking for blood. Um, unfortunately, they're probably not going to get it and they're going to be disappointed and they're going to be forced to actually listen to us speakers. And yeah. hopefully they'll be fair and hopefully they'll report what we actually have to say and give the American public the information that they need to hear pertaining to January 6th and what our investigative committee has found out. Kara, I have to put this uh, uh, comment up from President Trump. He spoke with the Federalists, and he said this. Put it up on the screen, please, and we'll read it. He voiced reservations about uh, Saturday. On Saturday, that's a setup. If people don't show up, they'll say, oh, it's a lack of spirit. And if people do show up, they'll be harassed. Uh, quite frankly, I kind of know where he's coming from on this. I have my own concerns. I want everybody to be safe. Um, how do you respond to what the president said? I've just said, everyone pray for us. You know, I'm going as a speaker and I'm going to do my job, which is to get up on the stage and, and, and speak. Um, I understand people have qualms about going to protest. Um, it's sad that in America that people have to feel that way. Uh, you know, like you were showing earlier in your show, the Capitol Police uh, that were uh, with Nancy Pelosi's January 6th committee. I don't want to see them tomorrow. You know, the Capitol Police make me more nervous than counter protesters, to be quite honest. That's what's given me the most anxiety this week. So I yeah. can understand that people are fearful. I could definitely understand that I'm going to go anyway because I have a job to do down there. Kara Castronova, co-founder of Citizens Against Political Persecution. We thank you. Good luck. 
Be safe. Thank you. And uh, I hope it's a successful event. I, I'm Thank sure. Thank you. It will be. God is with us as always. All right. Love it. Thank you. We'll be right back. I've always been fascinated by this sequence where Obama seems to be bragging that he could be president from a basement and have a stand in maybe somebody like Biden actually be the front man and he'd be in control. The body language of him is fascinating in this moment. I thought we'd bring in one of our favorites, a body language expert. His name is Scott Rouse. Uh, he's done consulting with the U.S. military. Uh, if you're lying, there's a good chance he'll be able to find out. He is a founding member of the Behavior Panel and the author of Understanding Body Language, which came out earlier this year. Uh, Scott, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How are you, you doing? Terrific. You bet. Uh, listen, let's just play this little moment. This is from December, I believe. Uh, it speaks for itself. And I think Barack Obama is doing some pretty odd things. But you're the expert. You'll tell us. Watch. If I could make an arrangement where um, I had a, I had a, a stand-in, a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats mm -hmm. looking through the stuff and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony. Wow. I, I'd be fine with that. Oh boy. First of all, I think that yeah. could very well be what's happening right now. What do you see, sir? And if you don't mind, let's start at the end. When he looks with those eyes, he seems proud of what he just said. And a little bit, maybe I said too much. What do you think's going on there? We're seeing the Obama, the, the classic, um, classic Obama sales face, where he's 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 put on his, his charisma. He's got his charisma happening, and he's delivering his information. It's something he's thought about before because it, it's called loping when it kind of lopes along like that and comes out so easily. He's thought about this before, and it seems like it was, it may be one of those situations where you put your plan ahead so you can be it can be dismissed later on. That's that's the the vibe I'm getting from it. But it seems it seems like he's um, he's being just Obama at this point. He's just delivering as he always has. And it seems like he's being fairly honest there. Fairly honest. Fairly honest. Interesting. So he was being honest about the arrangement that may very well exist. Sometimes when they're up to something, they want us all to know about it. All right. I got to play this for you as well. One more, if you don't mind. A recent press conference with Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, uh, Blinken. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about the way he blinks. Just roll the video if you don't mind. Um, he seems very tense to me. What are you seeing? Obviously, he just screwed up big time. Everybody knows it. What's happening here? We're seeing classic signs of, of stress. His, his breaths are really short. His, he's, when you see him do his mouth, he does that thing with that. That's called an adapter. We'll do things like that to uh, get rid of that built-up stress and tension. And when, especially when you press on your mouth, that starts sending messages to the brain to calm down, to tell you to calm down and help you relax. And that swaying back and forth we're yeah. seeing there, that's my partner Greg Hartley calls that uh, the swaying elephant. And that's another way of, of getting rid of some of that built-up stress and tension. Very you interesting. The, your statement. The swaying elephant. How about that? Scott Rouse, body language expert. We appreciate it. Check out his book, Understanding Body Language. Uh, interesting stuff. we got to have you back. Uh, those are pretty easy. Let's face it. These guys are those in the hot easy. seat right now. But we got some other ones uh, coming up.
See you next time, and we'll be right back. We are so grateful for your support. See you next week.